Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff, and today I am joined by the great Giancarlo Bodani. I hope I said that right. I've been practicing all day, but Giancarlo is killing it right now. Just won the ADCC trials. I had to have him on. He he was probably my favorite guy to watch from that weekend. But Giancarlo, I just want to start with how you found jujitsu. Um, how long have you been training? I know you got your black belt from Lucas Lepre, but you had a really interesting journey. And let's just start from the beginning. How did you find out about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and when did you fall in love with it? Um, I started doing jiu-jitsu when I was about 12, I think. Um, I don't have an exact like date where I, when I started. Um, but I was around 12 years old and, um, I basically just started, I always did martial arts since I was a kid. So I started with like karate, taekwondo. I did that when I was like, up until I was about like nine or 10. And then, um, uh, we moved like my, my family moved to like a different part of town and, uh, like a block down the street from my, uh, it was middle school at the time. Um, there was a jiu-jitsu academy. It was like, it was just about to open. It was Hilly and Gracie Academy. Um, and it hadn't opened yet. There were still like, it was like coming soon. So like I, we walked in, um, I think it was like me my dad and my brother. And like, we met, um, the instructors, they kind of like took us upstairs. It was like on the second floor of this like building. Um, they took us upstairs. There was like a little bit of mat space. There was still like some construction going on. They kind of gave us a little bit of a walk through about like the history and like showed us a couple techniques and um as soon as they opened we pretty much started me and my brother started together and um i liked it from the beginning honestly like uh i pretty much fell in love with it right away yeah it's it's funny you know people generally either love or hate, hate this sport right like you come in and you find out pretty quickly if you're going to fall in love and kind of get that jujitsu itch but from there, you go on to get your black belt from Lucas Lepre. Lucas Lepre is one of my favorite grapplers of all time. I mean, technically, the guy, I've heard so many stories. Um, I'm located in northern Alabama, so very near that alliance headquarters. And I just have a bunch of buddies that have trained with Lucas and heard some just crazy training tales of, of Lucas, you know, guys that are really, really good that never even passed his guard one time or, or never swept him ever in training. So what was it like to learn from Lucas Lepre and how did you get hooked up with him and eventually earning your black belt? Yeah. So the way that I met Lucas um, was because my dad, so I, I was, I grew up in Florida in South Florida and uh, my dad and like my siblings, they moved from Miami where we were living at the time to North Carolina. And um, when they were like in the process of moving, I had gone to North Carolina with my dad to Charlotte, where where Lucas has his school. Just coincidentally, it had nothing to do with uh, with Lucas. Like he was moving to the to the same city, and um, we were just looking up jiu-jitsu academies. And then I was like, "Holy shit!" Like Lucas Lepre's academy is here. So we went to Lucas's academy, um, and like I met him. I trained there once, um, and then I ended up moving. Like I was still living in Florida. And uh, my family moved to North Carolina. So my brother started training with Lucas um, a little bit further down the road after they, after they uh, had moved to, uh, to Charlotte. Um, and then a couple of years later, I ended up moving out to North Carolina with my dad and uh, started training at Lucas's. And so you got your black belt from Lucas Lepre. What was that process like? What, what, did, what was the training like training um, at that location in Charlotte? The training was awesome. I got so I got there as a purple belt. Um, I had been a purple for a couple of years, and um, I had never really been ex like been exposed to like a high high level. Like I'd, I'd been exposed to like good black belts, but not like a high level competitor, like multiple time world champion. Like there's like really good black belts, and then there's like you know those like elite guys. Um, so I'd never been exposed to a guy like that technical and his style is very uh, different than most guys. Like there's not a lot of guys that play a game like his. Um, and actually I kind of was uh, drawn to his kind of like passing game um, because I had been working on like passing a lot over the course of like my purple belt time. And I always been a big fan of Terere mm. who was Lucas's coach or one of his coaches um, coming up. 
So I was drawn to his style um, and I was able to, another thing about training there too, was like the, the, the training was so hard because Lucas was full-time, like in the middle of his career. Like he was at the peak of his career at that time. Um, when I was training with him, I think it was like his fourth year in a row, like winning the worlds or something like that mm. when I started training with him. So I got to experience him, not only like a super high level guy, but a super high level guy at the like peak of his, uh, of his athletic career. I've always heard that Lucas Lepre's balance is second to none. Like his ability to just stay on his feet and not get swept is yeah. incredible. Yeah. He's super hard to sweep. He's like a, so he is very good at um like i think i think it must have something to do with the fact that he did like capoeira when he was younger but he's just a natural athlete he moves very well um and he's just like he's super hard to sweep like when you said earlier like oh high level guys can sweep you i'm like yeah it doesn't surprise me like he's super hard to sweep he feels super heavy on top even though he's like uh lightweight you know yeah and it's like you said, you know, everybody, you know, typically gets exposed to high level black belts, right? Like guys that are really good, but that cream of the crop, that elite level is very, very rare. It's very hard. And, and unless you're fortunate enough to just happen to move into a city where one of those, you know, multiple time world champions are, you, you don't really understand the difference between even just, again, somebody that does well in the competition scene compared to a guy that dominates the competition scene. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. Lucas Lepre. Talk about, um, I guess, about learning, um, you know, how to compete. Like, I'm sure you probably picked up a lot of things on how to compete and how to prepare for competition training with Lucas during that time. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the things that I most benefited from training with him, especially training with him at that time. Because it's like one thing, it's like training with a guy who's like retired and he could tell you all this stuff. But like, if you don't see it firsthand, so like seeing it firsthand, like one, like how hard he's trained, he's, he was like one of the most disciplined guys. Like I never seen him like make an excuse to like not train or like he was super disciplined with his diet, like everything. So his like regimen was very on point all the time. <clears throat> and he trained really, really hard. So that that like showed me like what it took, like physically and mentally to um, to be able to compete at that level be able to perform at that level and uh i think he trained harder than like a lot of like even most guys that i've seen um that are high level i think it had to do with the fact that when you know when he moved to charlotte he didn't have a lot of good training partners and so like when i moved there as a purple belt like i was one of like his main training partners and we had a couple other guys that were like purple brown belt um level guys that were his main training partners so he wasn't necessarily training with you know high level black belts in like this high level room so like he would push himself even more like there was always like after practice there was always like these extra rounds or like these crazy he would have us do like these band workouts and all this like crazy stuff so like he was always of the mindset that you had to like push more like you know try to try to like go that extra mile or just get like every ounce of um every ounce of uh, effort that you could uh you know input every ounce of effort that you can into your into your training so um that's definitely one thing that i learned with him is like he didn't take any he didn't never took any shortcuts like he trained super super hard and his mindset too like so uh like his mindset going into competition like i learned a lot from just watching him and then also like obviously conversations with him and things like that it sounds very similar to Cobrina, you know, and obviously both with that capoeira background, but I've heard stories of these uh, banded workouts, you know, after training. Um, and I yeah. think Cobrina do a lot of similar stuff and it makes sense, right? Because they both were head instructor at the, the Alliance location um, under Jacare, mm -hmm. but their ability to move, just move yeah. at, a high level it's one of the most beautiful things to watch i think is watching those two guys yeah but how did you yeah. get to bjj fanatics i'm fascinated by how you found yourself up north underneath bernardo ferrari and um and with that bjj fanatics crew um so when i was a brown belt um 
Lucas asked me, he like pulled me aside and he was like, Hey, uh, Bernardo, like he needs an instructor and at his school. And it's just going to be for two months because he has a guy that's like waiting on his visa, blah, 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 like that whole, you know, story. So we need like kind of, he needs somebody to like fill in during that time. <clears throat> and I was a brown butt at the time, but I was like, you know, I immediately jumped on it because I was like, okay, one, it's like two months. I was working a couple like other side jobs, like unrelated to jujitsu. So for me, it was like a good opportunity to train, uh, like basically train all day and just do jujitsu and get paid for it because I'd be teaching. Um, so I was like, oh, it's a perfect like opportunity. And then I went up there and then two months became three and three months became like six. And like, uh, you know, it just ended up becoming a full-time uh, thing until like Bernardo eventually asked me, he was like, Hey, talk to Lucas. But if you want to, you know, stay here, you're more than welcome. Like he basically was like, yeah, I'm happy to have you as a full-time um, instructor. And, um, you know, Lucas was obviously like, yeah, you know, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good opportunity because I would be training all day long. You know, I would be, that would be my job would be jujitsu. So it was essentially what I wanted to do. Um, and just teaching at Bernardo school, like I was the main instructor at his school. He's obviously, you know, one of the, one of the main partners in BJ fanatics. So that's kind of how I got hooked up there. I started filming instructionals and then doing some side work with them as well. So what was the Boston scene like? I'm very aware of the New York scene and the New Jersey scene. I've done a few competitions, um, you know, over the years, some of the finisher tournaments and stuff. So I, I kind of know the scene, but I'm very unfamiliar with the Boston Brazil, like that, that type of uh, that area, I should say what Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is like. So, so is was Brazilian Jiu Jitsu like, is there a bunch of schools around Bernardo's or is it more of just Bernardo's is like the main place? So Bernardo's is a little bit outside of Boston. It's like in the suburbs. So it's in Bedford, Mass. But um, there are a bunch of schools in Boston. There's like Boston's one of the place that I've seen with like the most Brazilians outside of like Brazil. Like everywhere you go, I think it's like per capita, Massachusetts has like the highest Brazilian population. So there's like Brazilians everywhere. And there's a lot of uh, academies. I can't tell you like how many academies there are, but there's definitely like there's very like i think bernardo's is like the only place that there's like a world champion mm. or like a multi-time like world champion uh teaching you know i think that's the, I, I think it's the only school i could be wrong but um, there's a lot of other smaller like local schools in boston as well um but I, I i'm not too familiar with the academies like i didn't really train at very many uh places while i was there um and then like you know not sh like shortly after i was training there like maybe six up six months after i was teaching there like COVID hit so like everything was shut down and i didn't even really uh you know get to see much over there or compete much there at all that is wild i never would have guessed that boston and massachusetts was full of brazilians like never would have guessed so yeah. that is There's that's tons, fascinating tons of like brazilian bakeries and like you hear portuguese everywhere Huh. Yeah. Well, learn something new every day. Interesting. Um, so you're there um, and you're doing some work with fanatics. Obviously, Gordon Ryan and John Donner are coming all the time. I mean, they got to be the top two selling guys for fanatics. How did that relationship start? Like, did it start um, like, you know, how did you grow, um, you know, and get closer to Donahue and Gordon Ryan and then eventually making your way down to Texas to join New Wave Jiu-Jitsu? Uh, yeah, so I met, um, I met Gord. I don't remember if I met Gordon or John first, honestly. Um, but I, whenever Gordon would come to film, like he would always train. So we trained uh, a few times while he was there. And the way that I met John was because, so the guy that I was filling in for at Bernardo's, uh, his name's Mateus. He was the previous instructor and he ended up moving. Um, so that's why I started teaching at Bernardo's and he was John Zuke. So uh, when John came to film, he didn't have an uke. So um, they asked me if I wanted to to fill in an uke for for John's instructional. Um, so that's how I met John. Like I started uh, working as an uke for him at uh, or for BJ Fanatics for his instructionals. Um, and uh, I had made some trips, you know, uh, to New York to train. Uh, like on and off with uh, Gordon a couple times. And then every time that he would come to Boston, like we would mainly train when he was in Boston. 
um, we would always work out together. And essentially, like, that's how that relationship, uh, that's how the relationship started, you know, and we we just, it just was kind of like through BJ Fanatics and training together and ooking for John. How nervous were you the first time you ookied for John? Because I've heard he's pretty demanding, and you know, there's those funny, uh, funny clips of him, you know, with with Placido, you yeah. know, where he's kind of like slapping Placido's hand. <laughs> but you're going in your first time with, with arguably the, the greatest mind in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, there had to be some nerves, right? Um, I mean, not really. Like, I'm not a typically, like, uh, like a like. I, I didn't really feel like any reason to be nervous. Like I guess I met him the first time he was always, he was like super nice to me. Um, I, I didn't really have any of that um, before. And I had never really watched like previous, previous to going to BJJ fanatics. I never really like had seen um, any like instructionals or any of like those videos. Like I wasn't uh, fully like aware of like the Placido like memes and stuff like that until like I got there. Um, so maybe just my not knowing of that uh, played a part in that, but uh, I wasn't too nervous. Like, you know, for me, it was just, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was just used to it. You know, I've like taught and like, I've been in UK before, like in, in class and stuff. Um, so I kind of like knew how to react the way that he wanted to like for the, uh, for the video, everybody knows, like if you've teach before, it sucks when you have an uke that's not like reacting properly because it's really hard to teach technique um, if the guy's like resisting or he's like too limp and like too loose. So I think for me, maybe because I've like trained for long enough and I've taught and I kind of like and have that experience that I knew kind of like how to move and how to react. And I kind of knew what he wanted to, to show or and how he wanted me to move. So um, yeah, I've always had a, I always had good experiences with getting with John, honestly. What made you move down and join New Wave Jiu-Jitsu? Like, how did you end up down in Austin, Texas? Yeah, um, basically, uh, just through my uh, relationship with Gordon um, and John, they always had uh, kind of welcomed me, like always uh, opened the doors every time I wanted to, to train or um go to New York or even like I spent like a week training with them in Puerto Rico. So they were always very open to me training there, even though I wasn't, uh, you know, part of their, a part of their team. Um, and basically it was just an opportunity that, you know, I was having, I was, I had a teaching role in, uh, in Boston. Um, most of my training, but pretty much the majority of my training was in the Gi. So there were a lot of, I was having a lot of opportunities to compete in Nogi tournaments, um, super fights, et cetera. And so, um, I didn't really have like a ton of good Nogi training. So I would basically have to like train on the side with a couple of my students, um, to, to get Nogi rounds in. And I just wanted to take you know, my game to the next level. Like it was always my goal um, over the last like four or five years to pursue a, a career in professional grappling or jujitsu. Um, so it just made sense uh, to go there to train with, you know, essentially the majority of my training all throughout my life was uh, gi based. Um, and I had a good no gi foundation, but I really wanted to like take it to the next level. And, uh, you know, when, I, when they presented me the opportunity there, when they said, you know, if you want to come train uh, with us, like, I honestly, I, I won't say that I didn't hesitate because I definitely took some time to think about it because um, it wasn't an easy decision for sure. Um, there's obviously like a lot of risk involved. Like you go from a job, you go from a, a position where like you have a full time job to, you know, now like you want to pursue a career as an athlete in a sport that's not necessarily like it's not like the nba where you're getting like multi-million dollar contracts like you got to kind of you know hustle to to make a living and stuff like that but um you know i just decided like you know it's now or never pretty much and uh um i talked it over with my coach at the time lucas and uh he was honestly very supportive so you know um yeah that's pretty much like how it goes uh, it's hard to say like what exactly like made me decide um because i i'm i'm typically like a very like deep thinker like i think things through a lot like i'm not very like a spontaneous decision maker 
so I thought, thought things through and then one day I just like kind of was like you know what like fuck it basically like you know you gotta you gotta do it like now or never you know so so far I can't complain within three weeks like I won the trials um you know I had obviously been preparing for them for months but um we definitely made some adjustments like in like that first month that I was training here that were extremely beneficial in the um in that trials uh run and uh yeah training every day here under john like you know uh having uh you know the training partners that i do it's it's been great so far man i can't complain like i feel i'm feeling great i've been uh following you for a bit um i, I remember the first time I, I was really impressed by you was with your match against uh lucas hulk barboza um, you, you had a really good match with him and obviously, you know, people are going to be familiar with you for stepping into the who's number one, you know, the tournament and you, you looked phenomenal there as well. You, you weren't getting the results I know that you wanted. And, you, you know, you released a video after you won ADCC trials that I thought was was fascinating because, you know, you were on a bit of a losing streak, but they all were competitive matching your match with some Fowler. Um, I guess before we talk about ADCC, I, I want to talk about that who's number one experience because that was um really a huge step in the for the sport in the right direction right the most amount of money i mean we're talking about two hundred fifty thousand dollars being given out to five divisions we've got uh it's over two days it, it was just as professional as as i've ever seen uh you know a jujitsu event be and you're one of the eight guys selected and your first match is against mason fowler who's been killing it on submission underground and He's got a great guy in Chell Sonnen just basically telling everybody, hey, Mason Fowler is the best in the world. Mason Fowler is the guy. And you have, again, a phenomenal match. It, it obviously ends a little bit weird with, with the eye situation and then you moving on. But you look competitive against Hasim Rita. You look competitive against Kain and Duarte. But you don't get your results. So what was that experience like? And, and what did you really learn from competing against three of the best guys in the world um, in that weight class? Yeah. So want just to touch back on the last thing that you said, because um, that's another reason why the 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 no the reason why I decided to pursue like training at New Wave and, and doing no gi was that was one of the reasons um, was because you look at the jujitsu scene overall now and how no gi is going like this. And the gi is kind of like you don't know what's happening with it. Like, you know, they're having Pan Ams, like they're having Worlds this year. The Worlds is coming back. Um, but like nobody's really like talking about it. Nobody's really like giving a ton of it's it doesn't have like a ton of traction. And which is sad for me because I love the gi. I love jiu-jitsu gi and no gi. Um, but you as a competitor, you have to, you know, you have to make a decision that's like you know, I'm not saying I'm completely abandoning the gi, but I definitely, you know, until they do something that is going to bring up the gi scene, um, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I decided to to come out here and focus a lot on no gi. You know, the there's not a ton of like tournaments that are paying in the gi. You don't see a lot of super fight opportunities in the gi, so it's definitely like kind of a little bit dull like in the gi scene right now um and uh i mean it's still something that i watch a lot because i'm passionate about it um and i you know uh, will still plan to uh train it and compete in it down the road if the if the right opportunity presents itself um but that's just just to touch back on that like that's one of the that's also one of the reasons why um i came out here and and moved to to training more, focusing more on Nogi with, uh, with new wave. Well, it, but, it's kind uh, of, it, well, let me just interject real quick. Yeah. Cause it's kind of weird, right? Um, I, I'm a 10th planet black belt. I've been a black belt for almost four years next month, but, um, I love the gi. I love watching gi competition. Nicholas Marigali is one of my favorite guys. Anytime he's competing, I want to watch Felipe Pina. Um, he's been phenomenal, but you're seeing a lot of these guys. I mean, when Mikey Musumeci, you know, he made the switch to, you know, just training no gi it's really strange right now. I've kind of joked with a few people like if Marigali comes over and just decides to only do no gi, like where, what does that leave? I guess for the gi, right? Like if the top guys are coming over, it's just really fascinating to see the switch that's occurred since COVID because pre COVID yeah. it was pretty even, but post COVID it's been no gi. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like during COVID and and after, it's been a huge, uh, it's been a huge spike. And you got to kind of just see where the market's going, and like you have to make the right decision. Like, um, it can't just be because you, you know, like something or you're like super attached to it that you have to, like, if it's not if it's not if it's not progressing, then you know you got to go where the progression is going. You know what I mean? So, so that's just kind of that's just kind of how I saw it. That was like my thought process. Yeah, and again, I think it's pretty obvious, especially somebody that's as in tuned as you are doing it professionally. That, like you said, it is a bit of a hustle. So you've got to go where the opportunities are, and it is no gi. And the first big one that you get is that who's number one invite, and yeah. your first match is against Mason Fowler. It's an incredible, really, really good match, really fun match. Um, but again, you have three matches, and um, you know, you don't come out on top, but what did you learn from that experience? And, um, you know, kind of talk to us about that, that really, I mean, it was historic for jujitsu. I really feel like who's number one, it has really been one of the best things that's ever happened to jujitsu, that event. Yeah, it was a huge event. I mean, um, you felt like, uh, you know, you felt like a pro kind of like being there, you felt like an athlete. Um, so the event itself, um, I definitely learned that um, there is a huge, like, I, I definitely saw like certain holes that I needed to to fill in, but I basically like realized that like, that was my first, I obviously like I competed against Hulk, like I've actually, we've competed against each other like four times, but um, you know, competing against like those high level, I had fought Mason actually before in the Gi, so I, I kind of knew what he felt like before um fighting Kainan and Haisam basically I just like realized that like you know I'm pretty much like there at that level I was giving up you know a decent size advantage um but uh ultimately um yeah I mean I just basically realized that like I was there and I just needed to like evolve my game and um just increase my um my skill set like my repertoire um with uh with no gi and um you know the just like understanding like tactics in like a, in the rule set like that's that's one of the things that um john is so good at is and gordon as well like he has a very good mind for tactics and strategy um so you really you see like how from ch changing from one rule set to another the tactics and the strategy make a huge difference so like that both at who's number one and at adcc um that was a big like learning experience is understanding how to strategize for specific rule sets so again you're competing against the best guys but you hadn't been coming out on top right you're going into this adcc trials again looked fantastic but you know, you, you've got some other top level guys in there. How did you get your mindset right? Kind of, because mindset is right as an athlete. The mindset is one of the most important things. And, and some athletes argue that it is the most important thing, right? You hear about guys all the time getting the yips or kind of getting, um, you know, losing their confidence. And then it's all of a sudden, it's like they forget how to play, whether it's a baseball player that just can't find connection with the ball again or a pitcher that can't throw a strike. Um, how did you mentally prepare for the ADCC trials? Um, I didn't do anything particular, like, uh, I wasn't, like, practicing, like, you know, um, like, I didn't, like, I wasn't, like, looking at myself in the mirror and, like, trying to convince myself or, like, anything like that. Like, I didn't do a specific, like, ritual or, like, practice. Um, but honestly, like, if, over the last couple of years and, like, the, the amount of time that I've been doing jiu-jitsu, um, the amount of tournaments that I've done, like, competed against all these guys, and I just kind of, like, there comes a point where you have a real you kind of come to a realization that it's really about like you know you most of the time like we know what to do like if i rewatch matches that i've lost i'm like I, I every time i see a match i'm like oh i should have done this i should have done that or i could have done this you know so like you i you know what to do it's about like the focus you have in the tournament so it doesn't matter if the match is 6 minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes 40 minutes whatever it is you got to like be able to be dialed in to whatever the task is like you're do like and i you know i do this every day i've been in jiu-jitsu for 13 years um 
there shouldn't be like any like doubt as to my skill set. Like I don't really have a huge, uh, I don't really have much of a doubt in my skill set and like my ability to uh, do something. It's about being focused. If you lose focus for one second in a high level match, that's the match, you know? So it's, that was really like what it came down to is like over time, uh, like through experience, I was able to kind of like get to a point where um, I can be dialed in and just be be focused like in the in the match. And, um, you know, through like proper training and through um, because so, for example, in, in who's number one, there were a couple opportunities that I had to do a move or like finish a move or something that could have put me ahead in the match and that for whatever reason I didn't do it and like looking back I was like oh I had an opportunity there so there's about being focused and then being able to like pull the trigger like when the time is right you know so um that's really like the the mental aspect of it for me was just like over time I kind of like learned that it's really up to like you to make the decision and pull the trigger when the time is right and you have to be just dialed in and like focused in a match. You know, you have to be like focused on doing jujitsu. Like nothing else matters at that point. Doesn't matter what's happening outside, who's watching, you know, none of that matters. Like you have to be able to like make it what you do every day, which is jujitsu. So that's like what I try to focus on. And that's what I try to teach people, like, you know, share with people. Um, and John shares a similar philosophy as well, where he tries to, as much as possible, make competition just a normal event you know, like shut out the outside. So I think it's all like very, um, like it's, you know, very, you have to make it similar to what you do every day in that aspect. As an athlete, how active do you have to be, right? To really get over those competition nerves. Cause you hear about it all the time, guys, you know, I've heard Gordon say this uh, plenty of times where he's just like, look, like if I don't stay active, um, I kind of, I, I kind of start to lose that edge I have compared to when I am, and I can just get really comfortable really quickly in matches. Mm -hmm. Um, how active do you like to stay on the competition scene? And when do you kind of feel like you're starting to, um, you know, kind of lose that, um, you know, you start to get, I guess, more anxious and you start to feel like it's a competition instead of, as you just said, another day of training and getting better at jujitsu. Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, especially like staying active especially for what i talked about about like pulling the trigger and just having that like aggress aggression to like go forward at the moment competition frequency is super important um and i definitely the, without a doubt when i'm competing regularly i'm performing way better um and when you're not competing as often like i think i hadn't competed for a while before the who's number one so that might have been you know, one of the reasons why, you know, I maybe what di didn't pull the, the trigger at certain moments, um, you know, it's not for sure, but there is definitely something to um, being, you know, uh, competing frequently, or at least consistently, you know, it doesn't have to be like every week. Um, but, you know, at least like once a month or something like that, it's good to stay active. Um, and then also you're, you're, you're staying in shape too, because you're always preparing for something. So you're never going to like go through periods where you're training less or it just kind of keeps you consistent all around. Do you feel like when people don't pull the trigger, right? Like, cause you said that, you know, that who's number one event you just, you didn't pull the trigger. Do you feel like when you're not competing that sometimes you go in there to not lose instead of to win? Um, it's possible. I think it's depends on the person. Um, like everybody's a little bit different. Um, but that is something that you do see, especially in high level matches is you see guys kind of like, um, uh, kind of stalemate because neither one wants to really like push the pace. Um, so in ADCC, I really like did focus on being active throughout the entire, the entire match. Um, especially because they're shorter matches who's number one, the matches are longer. So it's hard to be you know, like pushing a hard pace, you know, the whole match and, you know, not get tired. Um, so you got to be, you got to be kind of smart with the way that you, you know, um, you got to be efficient with your energy, essentially. Um, but, you know, in ADCC, I wanted to like push, you know, the, I had to push the pace sooner. 
um, because the matches were uh, were were a lot shorter than than who's number one. So you had three weeks with with New Wave down there getting ready, and you'd already obviously been preparing for the ADCC trials. But what did that training look like? That month leading up, you know, you're training in the same room, um, you know, with Gordon and Donna here's leading your preparation. What what were you guys doing? How were you guys uh, getting ready for the ADCC trials? Um, basically, we have three uh, classes a day, um, two sessions, uh, one in the morning and one in the evening that are uh, taught at a local school, the local uh, Henzo Gracie Austin. And then we have like a private kind of competition session. It basically, it's just, you know, it looks like John coaching us through techniques. Um, and then, you know, depending on what we're preparing for, we'll have specific sparring um, for that competition. Like we were doing like ADCC style rounds, um, things like that. Uh, but it's basically just John teaching. Um, and then, you know, Gordon or like Gary or one of the guys will occasionally jump in and teach, but it's pretty much John the, the, the whole time. And um, yeah, I mean, they're just different. We usually start um, like, you know, like the competition classes we do, like uh, maybe 30 minutes to 40 minutes of like standing position. And then we'll do like technique on the ground. Um, and then after that, we'll go into sparring. So one of the big things that I've always felt like that the Donahir guys have had a huge advantage is that Donahir doesn't roll. And so he's always watching. He always has an eye on the athletes where most of the time, like look, Lucas Lepree is one of my favorite grapplers of all time, but he was also in the middle of his runs, right? He yeah. was rolling, he was doing his thing. And so everybody's improving together, but it's just not the same of having that expert eye watching you. How big, like, and like how much, I guess, like uh, of a hand does John have on your training? Like, is he constantly like, hey, Giancarlo, do this? Or does he try and like, does he guide you? Is he very hands-on or kind of describe, I guess, John's coaching style? Um, yeah. And especially how it's a huge advantage uh, that most guys just don't have in jujitsu. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it, it makes a huge difference, like having a coach that can like, kind of like oversee the practice. and then. Um, so he, John will like, he is hands-on. Like at, for example, yesterday um, after practice, he'll like have me running through some drills, like of something that he wants me to build a habit of. He's very big on like building habits, um, building good habits. Um, and um, he'll kind of like put ideas into your head and have you kind of run with them. Um, and then he'll brush up on them as you kind of go along. Um, I think like one thing that he has, he, he's, I've seen him say this multiple times, um, like over the course of the years is he doesn't want to like build robots that just like do ABC, like you're going to do this and like nothing else. Um, he definitely has a mind where, um, that's how he developed. Like a lot of his techniques was through, you know, being creative. So he lies, he lays out, um, fundamental principles. He, he puts in like when he's teaching he's clearly trying to make you develop habits and understand um like ideas and um he gives you the opportunity to kind of like play around and move with them anytime you have a question um he always gives a very detailed and like specific answer there's no like detail that's overlooked with john if that makes sense like mm. everything is very he does a very good job at like simplifying things that can stream that can seem extremely complex and that are uh in a lot of cases extremely complex um and like i said like he'll put ideas into your head he'll give you an idea he'll present you with an idea but ultimately that's up to the athlete to execute nobody you know um there's no like magic that happens that he's you know somebody touches you and you know all of a sudden you turn to gold you know it's like he has the knowledge and he can, he puts it in front of you. Um, and he kind of like almost like plants the seed. And then as you start to work with that, it seems as though like he will like come in and like nurture it as he goes, as you go along. So over the course of like, say a week or two, where we're working on a specific technique or on a specific um, kind of concept or uh, he'll kind of come in with um, information like, Hey, try this. Or he'll like start, running you through um drills and things like that to kind of like 
give you like a new perspective or like a new idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that that's uh, fascinating. And I really find it interesting because that's the thing. I think that's the superpower that John gives everyone on the team is he can guide like after you're rolling, you can go, hey, Giancarlo, I want you to do these drills mm-hmm. or I want you to do this drill. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's interesting. I, can you give like an example, I guess, of like a concept or yeah. technique that he's had you work on? Yeah. So like, well, so I'll give you an example. So I'll give you an example just in general, because so like he, we, we teach um, when we teach our, uh, the classes, the non-competition classes, um, he typically focuses on a specific uh, position. So for example, we'll do like half guard passing just as a general example. And I can tell that he's got like, that he has so many years of teaching experience um, and his knowledge is so profound because of the way that he breaks down over the course of like an hour to an hour and a half long class, um, how he breaks down like a, 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 a half guard pass that may seem simple, right? But he breaks it down into like segments and like everything is so detail oriented that just a small adjustment in the position is like a technique on its own that you need to drill. Like you need to drill how to get into position. Then you need to drill how to like, uh you know uh get to let's say we're talking about half guard passing how to collect get to an underhook or how to set a cross face and so like there are there are each position has like different pieces and his like his whole like the way that he puts the pieces together um is like sometimes you teach a technique and you teach it all at once and then especially beginners in the class like nobody understands it like when he's teaching it he breaks it down so well that like everybody gets it you know what I mean? Or most you're people deep, do, at least. Well, you're a deep thinker. And so I can imagine that being around John is really beneficial for you because the way that he taught, I mean, it's almost like he's, um, you know, a college professor. Like he's he's yeah. giving you physics, you know, 405. And um, I, I'm sure that kind of the, the vocabulary that he uses and the way that he thinks probably really vibes with the way that you think about jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, he's not going to teach you something just because, like, just for the hell of it, like, he's going to teach you for a reason. And he'll say this all the time, like, you know, this isn't necessarily like the the funnest thing to drill or like the coolest looking thing. But you need to know it. Like, if you don't know this, like everything else is going to go to shit. So um, yeah, he's, you know, he's very, uh, he has a very profound, like understanding, uh, like of jujitsu. And like, you can, you can just tell, like, if you've ever taken a class from him, like, you see his instructionals, they're, like, super detailed, they're, like, 12 hours long, uh, like, you know, he has uh, a very deep understanding of jujitsu, but, and he knows how to, like, articulate it and relay information very well, and he, like, breaks it down very well, so um, that's huge um, across all levels, from white belts to high-level competitors. I want to talk a little bit more now about like your learning style. How do you learn best? And are you more of like a, um, like a positional sparring guy? Do you find like more beneficial, uh, more benefits in like positional sparring? Are you a big driller? Um, are you more of like a, a live training, like a more sparring? Like, how do you learn best? And, and like, for instance, if you wanted, like, let's say uh, I wanted you, I'm John and I wanted you to get better at uh, rear triangles, for instance, how would you go about um, adding like and getting really really good at rear triangles um, so you can beat the best guys in the world yeah without a doubt i think that positional sparring um, like specific training like those situational rounds where you're working on specific situations and specific positions are the best way to improve um, drilling is important to an extent i hate drilling and i hate like I say I hate drilling, like I say it like kind of jokingly, but like I hate drilling for like, okay, put five minutes on the clock and you just do as many reps as you can. I hate doing that. Um, or like, you know, drilling four reps. I never really did that. There was like a like a period of like, uh, like I would see guys doing that, um, like competitors doing that, like where they would just like do like a whole session that was like an hour long of just straight drilling. Um, and it was like drilling as many like leg drags as you can in you know, like five minutes or whatever. Um, but that never really worked for me. It might work for some people. I don't really see how it can work. Cause like there comes a point, like you want to drill a technique and you kind of like start, like if it's a technique that's new to you, 
you want to drill it enough to where you understand the mechanics of like how to apply it. But there comes a point where like now you have to actually be able to apply it on a resisting opponent. Um, so for me, the best way to improve like a specific position, like say you want to get better backtakes from turtle, whatever, just an example, do turtle rounds. You want to get better at back escapes, like you can drill them, but then you're uh, there comes a time where you have to have somebody actively trying to finish you uh to to know if what you're drilling is actually like working and then you can see like where are the mistakes you're making um you know and and, and things of that nature so you have to you have to kind of like do it against resistance the way that i would do it and the way that i learned to do it from lucas was um start training with like lower belts and like um almost like like guys that you know that you could you could beat and you can try risking uh new moves on on people right on them like so you're rolling with like a blue belt or like a purple that's like a little bit lower level than you then you can start trying those new things and essentially you're like drilling but you're drilling against like all, like kind of like a live uh opponent and then the other way to do it is just positional sparring like you sparred in the spar start in a position and then you're working towards a goal you know you're working towards like the bottom first say you're doing side control person on bottom is trying to escape and regard person on top is trying to mount or finish or whatever the case may be so yeah without a doubt i think positional sparring um specific training is like the best way to improve yeah it's fascinating um you know you're kind of mentioning the speed drilling rounds and that's kind of i always think of atos and um obviously atos arguably is the best team in the world um especially if you just think of gi and no gi um, you know, but you, you see Andre Galvao and the training sessions that he leads, it's, you know, they'll put on five minutes and they're just trying to do as many, you know, like leg drags as, as they can. Um, you know, and then they'll do that for five minutes and then switch top to bottom. And I'm always fascinated by the different training styles, you know, and again, we've seen again, like Atos, you know, hard to argue. They've had a, a lot of really, really uh, good success, but I've heard a lot about, you know, Donna here and, and his team and, Obviously, the way you like to train is, you know, a lot of positional sparring rounds, a lot of, hey, we're going to start in turtle and all the rounds are going to start in turtle or close guard or, or whatever it is. Um, and I know Hickson Gracie w was always a big fan of doing positional sparring. You know, he talked about it a lot as well. Um, I guess do you feel that the better you get, um, I guess, uh, you know, you're able right now as a, as, a, as a, one of the guys, like a world-class black belt, you're able, you know, when you're rolling with the purple belt to dictate where the round goes. I mean, most guys are going to be able to really dictate what skill you want to work on, but I guess coming up, like, I guess at what stage, um, you know, do, do you, do you really find that, um, being able to train with lower belts, you know, becomes important, like because I really feel like a lot of the best guys do find that best work with a blue or purple belt that moves well, but you know, they, they can really do whatever they want. Yeah. Because the reason for that is because a lot of times, like you said, like if you're rolling with a black belt, uh, a lot of times they're training not to lose. And you know, the, the round kind of like, you don't get a lot out of the round. Um, so that's where that's something that i learned from lucas like that was exactly what he taught me he was like you know sometimes if you're training i was training in a room with like 10 black belts and like they're trying to hold for the for like the advantage just because they, they don't want to lose it can spar in training which makes no sense like that's when you're supposed to like go for it like you're supposed to take the risks in in training um so he that's what's what he did was he benefited a lot more from training with uh with lower belts that's how you develop your game so i think at all levels it's good but especially as you start to get higher level and you want to like improve like you know uh you want to improve like your submissions um you know it's very good to like train with uh with lower with lower belts or just like if you're trying to work on anything new it's always good to start off with like a lower um level person and then build your way up to doing it against like somebody higher level, you know, because you have to get that feel for it. You have to kind of like, you know, if you're doing something that's new to you, like even if you're doing it against like a blue or purple, but like you might fucking you might miss it like on a first couple of tries. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think like people don't like to they don't really you see a lot of times like you get to a certain level, they get to black belt, and they don't improve 
because they don't want to like you know mess up like in training or they don't want to like take those risks because you could be rolling against uh you could be rolling against the purple belt you try something and then you know, maybe you get caught or maybe you get swept or maybe you miss the technique and like i don't know look bad like in sparring like anybody's watching you know so it's like uh it's it's very beneficial i like i do it all the time just having like bodies to 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 try um to try stuff on you know it's beneficial for them as well because you know they're getting a feel of like a you know a high level um technique so it's it's beneficial for both i think do you prefer training with like a steady like like a regular group of people or do you, you like rolling with guys that you've never trained like you know, would you rather go to like a big open mat where you don't really know who anybody is and then roll and kind of get looks like that? Or do you prefer mm -hmm. more like close knit, like, Hey, I just want to train mostly most of my training with these, you know, 10 ish people. Uh, I like both. I generally, I generally like, um, training at the same gym every day, like training at my gym. Um, and like, you know, obviously having like the same training partners in the room, it's good to like see familiar faces and, you guys discuss training and like techniques. Everybody's kind of trying to help each other. Um, but it's good to train with new people, granted, depending on. So like if I'm going to like an open mat, you got to also like be careful because like people are going to try to like prove. Uh, and then, you know, that's how like injuries happen or like, you know, uh, you know, so there's you got to watch out like who you're rolling with. So granted, there's a good gym culture and like a good environment and people are actually trying to get better and not like prove themselves and like they're gonna jump a, like a freaking scissor takedown and like snap your knee in half just because they're trying to look good um then you know uh it's i'm, I'm happy to roll with I, I like to get as many feels as i can so like training with different body types like everybody has a different body type everybody has a different game so i like training with a lot of people so it's good to always have like the core group but you want to have like different people cycling in when you can um that definitely helps um with training got to talk about your ADCC performance. Um, it, it was just beautiful, man. I really just thought of all the guys I saw that weekend, I, I thought you, you and you really stood out to me. I mean, you, it was the way you beat people, but it was how calm you look the entire time. Um, I, you know, I just watching your matches and I really want to talk about kind of the sweet 16 all the way to the finals. You know, you're going against James Brasco, you know, multiple time uh adcc vet he'd won the trials a couple of different times and you know he's very uh elusive you know i guess that, that's kind of the nicer way to say it he's very elusive right he's going to always stay on the outside he's waiting to the points are at overtime and he's going to try and out wrestle his opponent um and get the victory and i mean you, you just i i would say that's probably the easiest i've ever seen anyone beat james brasco you know james is a tough guy very very tough but uh, i mean you you know, you drew him in, you ended up getting the sweep, you kept him down and, and you end up finishing him with an arm bar. But, um, you know, all four of your last opponents were, you know, they'd all done some things, you know, Ryan Aiken, CJJ champion. He's kind of on the come up. Ryan's one of my good buddies. Um, he's, you know, out of 10th plan Atlanta and, um, you know, Ryan's a beast. And again, you just, you, you just, you had a calm control over you that was very unique to the day um kind of how did you get like you you look like you were in a flow state yeah it's like i said man you got to be dialed in like it's fo it's just you got to focus because like if you're not focused on the task at hand then all the other stuff starts to come in like and i've you know i've experienced that and like through kind of experience and like um kind of like self-realization and just things like that like i've kind of gotten to the point where i'm able to like just automatically like you know um uh, automatically like put myself there but like um yeah like it's easy to get caught up in like you know who's watching or like you start oh i'm running out of time oh you're starting to get tired like and then you start thinking about all that stuff you think about how tired you are you're thinking about how there's not a lot of time left i'm down on points or whatever it is you know you gotta just like be focused on like you know what you're doing and i've always been like i'm naturally like this kind of like my personality is just pretty like calm so like it's just kind of who i am like i didn't really do anything specifically to like become that way that's just kind of how i always was and interestingly enough like all the athletes that i've always um watched or 
been like a fan of or that would have called my attention for whatever reason were always very similar like uh my when i uh started training like my idol was hydra gracie mm-hmm. always was hydra i always watched him and if you watch him compete he's super calm like he's just very like that's his personality like that's just how he is um and that's just kind of like always how i've been i've never been like a hyper person um i've never been like you know uh overly like amped i'm not the type of, like you need to amp myself up before uh before a tournament or anything like that um i can I honestly like sometimes run into the opposite problem where i'm just too relaxed where i'm just like i don't care what happens like i'm just like we're really like way too calm so sometimes i need a little bit of adrenaline um but um yeah that's just how that's just how i kind of am like i always watch um liked athletes that were like that that was always my kind of personality um and i think it's valuable because like you have to be able to jujitsu is like one of those things where like you have to be able to make decisions like on the fly as you know things are coming at you constantly um so you have all these like variables coming out you and you have to like make calculated decisions as to how to deal with them so having a calm mind is is important like not panicking um and just like feeling comfortable like in in all positions so that's always what I strive for. And like, that's always what I've like looked to do. So, yeah. What were the strategy going in? Like, cause you sat guard, um, and all of the matches, obviously in the final, you can't sit. Um, but, but you, you sat guard and, and those three, you know, you sat against James, you sat against Ryan, and then you sat against Jacob couch and you end up getting into the top position was, but there wasn't like uh, you know, a lot of guys wait until that three minute mark. But you weren't doing that. You just you use like you were getting comfortable. You 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 sat and, and pulled guard, and then you found your way to the top. Like as people would say, too early. Like you didn't play the rules. You know, you yeah. uh, you got on top, and, and then your passing was phenomenal, phenomenal all weekend. So what was going on? Like you just what was I guess kind of the thought process from going from top to bottom, um, or bottom to top? Excuse me. But yeah. Um... So like, I I pull the reason why like I I feel comfortable playing guard like I love playing guard I love to wrestle too, but like um, especially with the fact that there was like no points and like not really much of a risk to play guard um, in the beginning I feel pretty confident in my guard retention too so um, and even if I did get past like it wouldn't matter so there's like three there's a there's no points um, but. Um, my game plan was essentially like to get on top anyways to like reverse guys and like get on top. Um, so, I mean, I didn't really have much of a thought process. It was more like try to like elevate and get underneath them to be able to like attack legs or get on top um, and do my passing from there. So like, I like playing, I, I don't, I don't want to say like, I like playing top more than bottom, but I actually kind of like, playing top position more so it's funny like i pulled guard in all my matches but like i enjoy playing top position more so i knew that at some point like i would get to have to get to a reversal or i wanted to uh, attack legs because that's like something that i uh, had been working on a lot in the last um the last like since i moved here but even before that um and like since i moved here i really like have like brushed up on a few um things that have been huge um so like I really did want to like attack the legs, uh, but I knew that I could either do that or come on top if the legs didn't present themselves. And there was a couple opportunities that I had like that I did come on top when I was like in a couple like leg entanglements. Like I used them to come up and sweep. Yeah, um, you know Ryan Aiken. Um, you know he's got a, a really good um, you know outside Ashi game, and he you know tried to pull back on a straight ankle lock, and you just calmly went up. And, um, you know, you, you floated the position for a minute and then you end up passing his guard. Um, but I really want to talk about, especially the next two matches, because I, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I actually had you getting to the semifinals. Like in my mind, when I saw the bracket, I was like, okay, I think, but I had Jacob couch versus elder Cruz in the finals. And I thought elder was going to win it, um, with, with, uh, you know, you being in the third place match, but obviously that's not what happened and your match against jacob couch because jacob couch is has really made a name for himself he had a phenomenal who's number one event uh that who's number one event but man i mean you body locked you you passed you went to mount and you took his back and choked him that was one of the marquee moments from the weekend 
it. But it, it was a beautiful match. Um, you know, you're going in against Jacob Couch. Like, how did you was there like a preparation, like, hey, you're going from Ryan Aiken now to Jacob Couch? Was there any like specific drilling that you guys did um, you know, for that match, or was it kind of just the same, you know, you're going in every match with the same strategy? No, I typically like there you have like you need to like watch out with a couple like some certain opponents. Uh, if they're good at like a specific thing, like Mourinho, like Pedro Mourinho's good has a good guillotine, so you gotta like watch out with that. Or if a guy's a good leg locker, like the case of um, Couch, like he's a good leg locker, so you gotta just be aware of that. But I always try to like focus on myself and just focus on like my game and like what I want to do. And like I said, like I've always strived to be good in all positions and not have to rely on like I need to get to this position, otherwise like I'm not gonna feel comfortable. Um, so um i knew that he was a good leg locker i knew that he would probably want to enter my legs like if you watch like i i I reversed him in the um no points period but like it wasn't like much of a battle to come up like he kind of like like when i off balanced him like he kind of like accepted top so i was like oh he probably wants to like me to come on top so he can leg lock me um but i immediately just went into like tight passing where like he couldn't really get um any space or like any elevation like i started off with a body lock worked my way to half guard and just pressured through so um like i i knew what his strong points were but i wasn't like necessarily like worried about them or like threatened i just was like you know i'll just play like a tight passing game like and see how that you know see how that goes um so yeah, like I said, like I don't really like necessarily like game plan for specific opponents because of like anything that they do that I'm like necessarily like afraid of or like worried of. Um, but like for for example, in like the James Brasco match, like Gordon like was like, okay, if you do this, then like you exactly what I did in the match. Like he basically like called it. He was like, he's gonna get tired. You're gonna be able to like reverse him, and then you can just like beat him from top position. Um, so there are certain moments where you have to like game plan for the opponent. Um, but typically I tend to just worry about like myself. I don't really worry about like who I'm going to face. Cause you never know who you're going to face, like in a bracket, you don't know how it's going to play out. Well, you go into the final against elder Cruz and elder is a phenomenal wrestler. Um, you know, he, he has a, a very extensive wrestling background. Uh, man, he, he's had some matches against some of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, he's really, really good. And you, you know, you end up getting your hands locked, you pull half guard and you come up, you get the behind him and, and you end up taking him down and taking his back in that process. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I mean, that feeling of, you know, you just, you're out the back, you put the body triangle in, there's a minute left, um, you're three points up, you, you know, nobody's going to, he's not going to pass your guard. Yeah, you had to be feeling really confident in that moment. Um, but I guess more specifically, talk about wrestling because I was really shocked, um, you know, how well you wrestled against Elder Cruz. I thought Elder was going to have a really big advantage over you, and I thought that's what was going to end up being your downfall. But obviously, that's not what happened. So, how long, like, like, ta- like, how long have you been like wrestling? And um, I, I mean, I was really, really, just really impressed. Really impressed. Yeah, I think you know. Um it wasn't so much like I've trained, like I've done wrestling, like, you know, over the years, like I've always liked stand up standing position, uh, both gi and no gi. So like, I've always trained it. Um, even though I didn't like formally wrestle, um, like in like a high school or anything like that. Um, I've always enjoyed it and I like the study of it. And like here we train a lot of stand up. Um, like I said, like pretty much all our comp sessions start off with like 30 to 40 minutes of standing position. If not, if not more, um but just uh kind of you know also it's different than a wrestling match because um of the take of the scoring in adcc so i knew that as long as like even when he took me down i knew that as long as i kept moving and i would keep scrimmaging um that he wouldn't be able to score um so that was it was really just like i was confident that like i wasn't getting scored on so i wasn't like worried about like oh shit like now i'm down on points or anything like that um, and I always feel like I've trained with, I've been fortunate enough to spar like some pretty good wrestlers, um, like high level wrestlers. Um, and uh, like, I know like 
what it feels like to be in in a in exchange with like a good wrestler and like i you know i have a good i feel pretty comfortable like in standing position like hand fighting um taking shots defense like all around um it's just something that you know i train and um that i feel comfortable in um and i was also like in that moment like he did get a takedown on me but i knew he wasn't going to score because um i just kept moving and was able to get to my feet and it's hard to it's hard to establish like takedown points in adcc yeah it's it's really tough um but last question i just got one more thing um yep future right so Giancarlo, where do you want to be in five years? What are your future jujitsu goals? Um, and, and where can we see you next? Like where are your upcoming competitions and, and, and again, what, what's like your big ultimate, uh, couple goals for your jujitsu journey? Yeah. So, well, coming up next, I have Emerald city invitational. Mm, in, uh, yeah. I cannot wait. Yeah. Awesome. So be doing that. And then I don't have any tournament after that plan, but I'm sure something's going to pop up that I'll be competing in. Um, so I want to stay active um, throughout the entire year, especially in the lead up to ADCC. Um, I want to be competing as as often as possible. Um, five years, honestly, like my goal is like right now, I don't even feel like I'm even near like my prime, my athletic prime. So I think that like once I get in five years, I think I'll be like hitting my athletic prime. Um, so honestly, like I plan to just continue, um, competing as many times as I can. Like this will be my first ADCC. The goal is obviously to win and get an invite to the next ADCC and, you know, just keep, um, keep that streak going as long as possible. Um, I do have goals to compete in the Gi again, um, and win a world title in the Gi. So, um, that's something that I want to do still. Um, I won't be participating this year because I actually don't have points. So even if I, I wanted to, I, I wouldn't be able to because um, I've competed once in the Gi uh, this year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the goal is the, the next main focus is ADCC 2022 and all the ones that um, come after that pretty much. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I, again, I'm a huge fan. I'll definitely be rooting for you um, coming up. Um, Emerald City is going to be a phenomenal event. Uh, my instructor, um, he commentates, so he'll be up there commentating. Uh, Brandon McCatherin is who, awesome. uh, him and Eddie is who I got my black belt from. So, awesome. um, yeah, he'll be up there commentating. And, uh, yeah, dude, wishing you all the success in the world. Where can people follow you? And do you have, like, any instructionals or anything like that? Anything you want to, um, you know, like a YouTube channel, anything like that that you want to plug? Yeah. So, I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at Giancarlo Bodoni. Um, I have a YouTube channel as well. Um, I've had it for, like, two years. So I'm posting content over there um, weekly. Um, and if, you know, I also do, um, one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I have, uh, some students that I teach overseas and, uh, all across the States, um, where I teach one-on-one -on -one essentially remotely. So you can learn from me kind of pretty much on your own schedule, like whenever. And obviously my courses on bgfanatics.com, I have a bunch of instructionals there. Yeah, guys, definitely check it out. Um, he's definitely one of the best guys on the up and up and, I really uh, am excited to see you continue to grow and continue to display beautiful jujitsu every time you step on those mats. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can do it again at some point, but uh, until next time, guys, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Peace.